So this week we're learning a thing or two about faith as we continue in Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 to 28. So let's stand to read the word of God. We stand at Gateway Downtown uh, because these are God's words and they're holy and it's a sign of God moving in and through us. Starting with verse 21 in chapter 15. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Let's pray. God, we come before you this morning broken, humbled, knowing that you are God and knowing that we are not, knowing that we need to be pursuing you and giving you all of our hearts. And this is a challenge every day as we battle with the flesh and the spirit. So God, we come here today wanting to learn more about you, wanting to learn not only for ourselves, but so that we can share this with other people as well. So God, open our hearts. Just hear you. Let us see you, let us taste you this morning. And let us be able to reiterate this later on. Thank you for meeting us here, God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Uh, So one of my favorite topics to talk about in the Bible, something that maybe for the past four, five, maybe even six years, a topic that has very much fascinated me is, uh, is women in the Bible, biblical women. I've... I don't know exactly why this has been interesting to me in the past five or so years, uh, but it has piqued my interest a lot. And and I think one reason why it's piqued my interest because because women are portrayed very differently in many religions. And so I grew up learning about all sorts of different religions when I was in upper high school. I was looking into stuff early in college. I took a class about... Um, comparative religious ethics. So we were looking at all sorts of different religions. And, and I found a common theme in a lot of religions is the oppression of women in society, or maybe even the degradation of women. And uh, one of the things that I love about the Bible, about Christianity, is that we aren't doing that, per se. We are not at all being oppressive <laughs> towards women. There aren't sexist philosophies in our faith. But even in classes that I've taken, I realized that a lot of people in my classes would say that all religions are oppressive towards women, even Christianity. And I would argue that. I would say, well, while I'm not a feminist, or at least the way some people use the word feminist, I don't believe in sexism at all. And I think the Bible doesn't either. And I think that's one reason why I am so key on learning about biblical women in the Bible. Because we can learn a lot from it, and we see it. It's not something where women are oppressed in our faith. 
And so I like that. Christianity, followed, Christianity does not follow that trend that many other religions do. And it's not only sexism that Christianity brings down, but racism and ethnocentrism as well. All these barriers, these man-made barriers that we have put up, that our society has put up, Christianity tears down. Jesus tears these down. Christianity is the most unifying religion that I've seen. It is bringing people together, breaking down every barrier. And we see that happening here. So this is happening. This text is taking place after what we just talked about last week, where Jesus has schooled the Pharisees. He has told them what he thinks of them. He taught the people in Genesaret. This was after he walked across the water. And so he was in the northern land, okay, of Israel. Israel, God's chosen people in the northern land. Genesaret is up there. It's right by the Sea of Galilee. And so Jesus is on his way from the Sea of Galilee, which is near the northern region, and he's going even further north. This is the furthest north Jesus ends up going on his travels, up to Syrophoenicia, Syrian Phoenicia, the borders there. And so in Syrophoenicia, we have these two towns, Tyre and Sidon. And so he goes near these two towns. Jesus makes his way to these districts, leaving the people that he just spoke with about the gospel. And so one of the things that he does here that is hard for me to grasp is Jesus leaves people that still don't believe. We saw it in Matthew 10.14. Jesus did this before. Matthew 10.14 says, If anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. And I've read this and I've wrestled with this a lot in my life. It's hard. The idea of leaving people alone, the idea of realizing that some people don't care about Jesus, don't want to listen to him. And so what does Jesus do? Shake off the dust from your feet and leave. Jesus does that here. We see it happen in Acts as well. This is modeled for us when when we leave Acts again. Last week, sorry, side note. Last week I was talking about blind teachers. Don't follow people that are blind teachers that don't um, speak truth what the Bible says. And while I wanted to, while I was quoting Paul from Acts, instead of saying Paul's words, I said that Paul wrote Acts, which he definitely didn't. And I was called out on it, which is good that we know that Luke wrote Acts. It was his second volume. And, uh, and so Paul didn't write Acts. Get rid of that. Blind guide. I was, I'm sorry. I apologize. I'm not perfect. And so that was wrong. But here we are. The second volume of Luke is Acts. We have a lot of Paul's words recorded here. And, uh, and we have it even in this sense right here, verses 46 and uh, 50 of 51 in Acts 13. I'm reading the section about the Jews specifically because this, this is where Jesus is in Israel, preaching to the Jews, speaking with the Jews, teaching the Jews. We'll get to the Gentiles later. In this passage, but these verses say, Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, the Jews, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing, and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. So here, just as Jesus modeled for us earlier in Matthew, just as Jesus is modeling in our text this morning, he leaves those that choose not to believe in him. 
And so this morning, we see him leaving some people that don't believe in Genesaret in order to go to another place. So when you're walking, when you're prayer walking through the city, as I'm challenging you to do, you might have to do the same thing. You might run into somebody that's hostile about Jesus, that's hostile towards you, hostile about your faith. And it's not bad to talk to them, but we have 24 hours in the day. We will only have so much time that we're prayer walking in the city. And maybe God is telling you to continue speaking to that person, but I'm telling you right now that Jesus is always speaking to people and working in our hearts. And there are people that are downtown that God is already working in, that he's already moving in their hearts, moving in their lives, and they're waiting to talk to somebody about Jesus. And maybe that's you. And sometimes there might be conversations, there might be people that just take up your time. And it might be time to shake off the dust from your feet and go on and find somebody else, somebody that's wanting to learn about Jesus. It's not up to us to change somebody's heart or mind. Only God does that. But God, by his grace, allows us to help teach people. And so we want to be aware of that. And sometimes we do have to move on. So he arrives in this new land, and he's approached by a very unlikely suspect, a Canaanite woman from that region. Mark 7, 26, the account of this tells us that she is a Syrophoenician by birth, a Gentile. So a cursed Canaanite, the Canaanites, that cursed region of Canaan. She approaches Jesus. She's a Gentile approaching a Jew, a different race. She's a stranger to the commonwealth of Israel. She should have no reason to talk to him. He's Jewish. He's a man. She is a Gentile and a woman. And the social norms would say that there's no reason that they should talk to each other. But as we see, Jesus tears these down. Jesus is unifying all of these things. We don't see it right away, though. We don't see this unification at first. The latter part of verse 22 shows that this woman is crying out to Jesus, not asking or even pleading, but she's crying. She's desperate. So she has no reason to talk to Jesus, and here she is crying to him. She says, Lord and Son of David. She proclaims his power and his lordship from the start. She knows that he's divine, Lord, Son of David. She knows this lineage that he comes from, that he, Jesus, is the Christ. And so she has a daughter. She's asking Jesus to heal her daughter of a demon. She knows the evil is on her daughter, and she knows who to talk to, even if she shouldn't talk to him based on our social norms of the time. But what I love about this crying request is that she's presenting the problem to Jesus. But she isn't asking Jesus to help her daughter. She first addresses him and she cries, have mercy on me. Yes, the problem is her daughter. He wants her to free her daughter. But she says, have mercy on me. Okay, mercy is defined this way. Compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. I heard this defined simply a while ago. Hopefully I get this right. Uh, Maybe you've heard this before. Mercy and grace, they're two different things. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. So God shows us grace and mercy all the time. Again, grace, getting what you don't deserve. Mercy, 
not getting what you deserve. I'm driving on the highway up here. I'm driving 80 and a 65. I get pulled over by a cop. The cop walks over. He says, I'm just giving you a warning. You don't get a ticket. What did he show me? He showed me mercy. I deserve to get a ticket. He didn't give it to me. If the cop comes over and he gives me a cupcake, that is now grace. He gave me something that I surely didn't deserve. And it's still mercy too, unless he still gives me a ticket and a cupcake. Then it is grace, not mercy. Okay? There's a difference here. So mercy is what she's asking for. She asked Jesus to not give her what she deserves. She's admitting from the start that Jesus has the power to save her daughter. Two, that he has the power over demons. <laughs> he can make this demon stop. And so she pleads mercy for herself. She isn't asking Jesus to show mercy on her daughter. She's asking Jesus to show mercy on her Now, I am not a parent, so I'm not going to pretend like I know what it's like to be a parent or understand exactly what that's like, but I am a child and I do have parents. And I understand that what she's doing is she's owning her child's misfortune. She's owning what is troubling her child. And she's approaching Jesus to help her daughter, which in turn shows mercy on herself. So parents... Pray for your children. Parents, cry to Jesus for your children. While, as as I said, I don't have parents of my own, I'm blessed beyond belief to have unbelievable prayer warriors for parents. I mean, ever since I was a little kid, um, every single night, go to bed, we'd be prayed over by our mom or our dad. Each one of us kids, they go from room to room. Every single night, every time we leave somewhere, we'll pray for you. Maybe they didn't pray for us right there on the spot, but I know they're praying all the time based on many things that I've done in my life, uh, which were stupid. I, my brother's done a couple as well. You can ask him about the Grand Canyon sometime. Um, but prayer works, okay? And our parents are prayer warriors. So this is significant. We don't want to forget this, that our parents should be praying for our kids. And children, maybe you're like, oh, my parents never prayed for me. Well, you're old enough now, ask them to pray for you. Give them a prayer request. Hey, mom, hey, dad, could you pray for this? Let them do it. It's important. It's significant. We have this Canaanite Syrophoenician woman essentially praying to God. She's asking Jesus for something, and three things end up happening here. Jesus proceeds to give the woman three different responses in these next verses. The first thing he does, she is seemingly ignored. Secondly, she is seemingly invalidated, seemingly ignored, seemingly invalidated. And third, she's seemingly insulted. First, seemingly ignored. After she puts it all on the line, she finds the man that she's looking for that can save her daughter. She knows who he is. She cries out to him. She says exactly what her heart is telling her to say, asking Jesus for something. And Jesus, who's, he's always quick to heal people, right? We just saw this in Genesaret a few weeks ago, the end of Matthew, verses 35 and 36. Matthew chapter 14, 35, 36. When the men of that place recognized him, they sent around to all that region and brought to him all who were sick and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment. And as many touched it were made well. So just not long ago, people are walking over, they're just touching him and they're healed on the spot. And here she is crying, pleading, And what happens? Verse 23, he did not answer her a word. 
silence from Jesus. Jesus, have mercy on me. She cries to him. Have mercy on me. Nothing. There's silence. And this isn't the first time this happens in the Bible. Psalm 44, 23. In prayers, they're going through a tough time. Awake, why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. And what about the Israelites who were led out of Egypt? They were led out of slavery to go to the promised land. The promised land isn't that far away, right? But we're out here 40 years later, having eaten nothing every day but manna. I'm sick of manna by now. Exodus 17, 7. Moses, he called the name, the place Massa and Meribah, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel. They were upset. Moses heard God. They weren't necessarily hearing God all the time. They heard some crickets. And because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? They weren't sure. Sometimes there's silence when we pray. We pray, we don't hear. It's quiet. So a lot of times we'll see Jesus answering a prayer immediately, healing people immediately. But it doesn't happen all the time as we see here. So this woman is seemingly ignored. And so what do we do if we're seemingly ignored in our prayers? Next, we see the disciples begging Jesus to shut her up, more or less. They're begging her. So what is she doing? She's obviously still really annoying the disciples because she's still crying out to God. They know Jesus can help, and they don't understand why he won't do something because they're sick of it. The end of verse 23, she's crying out after us. Make it stop. So what do we do if we're seemingly ignored in prayer? We keep crying out to Jesus as she did. Jesus answered in verse 24. He seemingly invalidates her request by saying, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. She is not of the house of Israel. She's not in the promises of God as one of God's chosen people at this point in time. She's a different race. She's a Gentile, not a Jew. So Jesus tells her that I wasn't sent for you. I was sent for the lost Jews, the Israelites, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Because the veil had not yet been torn. Jesus had not yet died for our sins. And there was not this knowledge yet that Jesus died for all of us, for all mankind. Luke 232 says that Jesus was on the earth as he was on the earth as a light for revelation to the Gentiles. But we didn't know this yet. We knew, and for the glory to your people Israel. We knew Jesus, King of the Jews, was back, was here for them. We didn't know he was here for everybody. So this woman is being told by Jesus that she is invalid for his blessing. Maybe you've felt this on occasion. Maybe you've questioned, am I actually one of God's children? Things are pretty tough. Maybe I'm not actually a Christian. Maybe God doesn't actually know me. But glory to God, we don't have to ask this question anymore. Romans ten twelve. Because Jesus died. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. So you should know that if you have chosen Jesus to be the Lord of your life, there's no need to question whether you're a part of God's family. I'm not telling you that this is an invalid thought. 
I'm not telling you that you shouldn't wrestle with it because it can be hard. I'm not telling you that it's easy to understand this answer, but I'm telling you that the answer is easy. You're a child of God. If you believe in your heart, Jesus is Lord, if you confess with your mouth, God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. If you've done that, you're a child of God. You don't have to wrestle with that. I'm not saying you won't, but know the truth that you've been grafted into God's family. You're a child of God. Next verse in the text, her response to being seemingly invalidated. She comes closer to him, kneels, and prays three words. These three words might be your prayer for whatever you're going through this morning. Lord, help me. Again, she is owning her daughter's demon. To see her daughter free is freeing to herself as well. So Jesus, who one, has already seemingly ignored her, and two, has seemingly invalidated her, now three, seemingly insults her. Verse 26, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And then I I imagine she doesn't miss a beat here. And she says, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Here, this is a woman of faith. She's seemingly insulted, being called unworthy, and referred to as a dog. That should be offensive, but she knows who she's talking to. She knows who's hearing her prayer. And so she shows how strong her faith is in a few different ways here. I'm giving you points on points. That's never fun. Bear with me. Her faith is shown because despite her prayer and seemingly not being answered yet right away, she's reiterating here, Lord, she acknowledges that Jesus is God. Jesus is in charge. Jesus is the ruler. So one, the first thing she does is she repeats Jesus' lordship. She's showing her faith in three ways. The first way here, she repeats his lordship. Secondly, she admits to her brokenness rather than defending it. How quick I am to defend myself or say something to make myself look good when I hear the truth of what Jesus says and I think, oh, you didn't quite get that. A, a dog, well, I'm not a, I'm not a dog. I mean, I'm still a person. That's a little too far. You know, I mean, I, I'm at least a cat, they're a little tamer. You know, I'm, I'm, I, would want, I would want to defend myself. No, Jesus, that's not quite right. But she doesn't do that. She admits it right away. You're calling me a dog? True. And that's what we should all do. You're telling me I'm not perfect? True. You're telling me I'm a sinner? True. You're telling me that I don't deserve your healing for my daughter? That's true. And that's where we need to be. We need to be in a place of brokenness where we can admit to God, I'm broken. True. She's showing her faith in that way. That's the second one. And then thirdly, she uses the analogy to not only reiterate his lordship, not only to claim him, um, or sorry, to reiterate lordship or to say that she's broken, but she is now claiming him to be her master. So the third thing she's doing is claiming him to be master. Yes, I'm a dog, but even the dogs eat the crumbs from their master's table. I'm the dog, but I'm your dog, Jesus. I'm a servant, but I'm your servant, Jesus, master. So her faith is proven in these three things. Faith, again, reminder, faith is not pretending to be perfect. That is the last thing you want to do in downtown Cleveland, pretend like you're perfect, because that's a facade that doesn't hold up. Everybody sees through that. So she's showing her faith, one, by repeating his lordship, two, admitting brokenness, and three, owning him as her personal savior. Repeating lordship, admitting brokenness, 
owning him as her personal savior. And so now, how does this end? Verse 28, a woman, great is your faith, be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. So Jesus never ignored her. He never actually invalidated her. He never actually insulted her. He knew her faith and he knew her faith would grow that much more through this encounter and that he would be that much more glorified in the process. There's another bit of significance in this waiting game that happened, this back and forth between these two. It created a greater awareness of what Jesus was coming for. By Jesus reiterating that she was seemingly each of these things, She's an outsider. She's a Gentile. She's not worthy for this. By reiterating these things and then healing her, he is showing what he came for. He came for everybody. Had he healed her right away, maybe people wouldn't have seen that. Maybe they wouldn't have realized Jesus is here not only as king of the Jews, but king of everybody. He's ushering in a new kingdom where everybody is unified. All humankind is privy to Jesus and will answer. And Jesus will answer anytime somebody calls on his name especially the dogs, as we see. So where does this leave us, Gateway Downtown? The the text today leaves us with a few realizations that we should take in for ourselves, but we should also pass on to other people. Maybe as we prayer walk through the city, one of these things comes up. You can talk about it. So we've learned truths today that we want to remember. The first truth is that sometimes you have to leave alone those that deny Jesus. We talked about the beginning, shaking off the dust from your feet. Sometimes you have to leave people alone. <laughs> it's not, that is not easy. I still wrestle with that, knowing when God is telling me to move on, to spend my time somewhere else, to find somebody that does really actually want to know Jesus because they're not listening. Secondly, the kingdom of God unifies people and destroys man-made barriers like sexism and racism. Those are, those are gone now. Jesus is bringing everybody in, bringing in everybody together. Another thing is that parents should be praying for their children. Parents, pray for your children. And I'll remember this someday. Hopefully, maybe I'll have kids. But for you that have kids, pray for them. It's important. And then in regards to faith, we learned three things about our faith. If we're seemingly ignored, keep crying out. First of all, if you are praying, you don't hear anything, it's silent. If you are seemingly ignored, keep crying out. If we're seemingly invalidated, remember your identity as a child of God. That is not coming from God, that you are invalidated. You are a child of God. And number three, if we're seemingly insulted, we repeat his lordship, we admit our brokenness, And we own Jesus as our personal Savior. If we're seemingly insulted, repeat his lordship. Lord, you are God. I am broken. Admit our brokenness and own Jesus as personal Lord and Savior. Jesus, you are mine. So take these in for yourselves. And not only for yourself, but share it. Maybe people need to hear this. We have many different places. I was talking about it even this morning. Our One way to look at this, our first place is where we live. Our second place is where we work. Our third place is where we hang out. And we, as Christians, Gateway Downtown, should be influencing all three of these. Number one, your first place is where you live. Where do you live? What is your neighborhood? 
We should be influencing that where we live. Number two, where do you work? We should be an influence. We should be bringing the light of Jesus where we work. Number three, where do you hang out? Where do you play? Let's bring Jesus there too. The third place. We're the third places in Cleveland. Last Wednesday, we were walking around. Wednesdays at Reserve Square. There are a billion food trucks. Not a billion. There's a lot. That's the third place. People are going to go there. Somebody here went to work instead of working from home strictly so that he could go to, West, to Reserve Square. That's a great reason to go. There's a lot of people. Let's find these third places. And let's go to these third places and be a light. Bring our faith. Don't be afraid to share our faith if it comes to that. And this morning, as we pray to do this, we can't do it on our own. We've only been able to do this because of what Jesus did for us. We can only do these things because Jesus has come to earth as man, struggled, faced the same temptations that we faced, though he didn't sin. He lived a perfect, blameless life, and yet he died so that we can have eternal life. And not only that we can have eternal life, but that we can have life and life more abundantly here on earth now in a relationship with our Savior. And so we recognize that this morning in baptism. Sorry, wow, in communion. I wish baptism would be great too. That is one of my favorite things. Uh, But in communion, we recognize that. We recognize Jesus, you died on the cross for us. And before he died on the cross for us at the Last Supper, the disciples were there and he had the cup and he said, drink of of my blood, eat of my body. These are representative of Jesus, of what he has done for us. And so here we are at the end of the month, ready to partake of the juice and the bread, representing the blood and the body of Christ. So we'll line up here on the left side, come up, grab a cup, grab a piece of bread, and go ahead and sit in your seat and pray to God. Remember God. That is why we take communion, to remember what Jesus did for us. So if you have taken Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, if he is your full treasure, come do this. If he's not, if you're still seeking out your spiritual journey, you don't know who Jesus is, you just came to hear more, don't feel like you should come and do this. And it's okay. It's not a bad thing. You're not isolated. You're not alone. There's plenty of other people that are still seeking God as well. But if you have made Jesus your Savior... Please do it. Come do this in remembrance of what Jesus did for us. I'll say a prayer and then you can come up, go to your seat, pray to yourself, maybe with your children, maybe um, with a friend nearby. Pray, we'll partake, um, and we'll end in, in song. God, I thank you for meeting us here this morning. I thank you for your word for this Bible that we have in front of us that we can learn about faith. We can see a prime example through the woman of Canaan that had faith in you and that never stopped. God, we want this faith and we want to see you fresher every day. And so we come even this morning to partake in communion because we want to see you fresh this morning. We want to leave this morning re-energized and ready to share with other people the love that you have shown us. 
God, thank you for meeting with us this morning and meet with us even now as we partake in communion. We love you. Amen.